BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, Blaster fans, and welcome to episode 35 of Who Won the Week, a podcast dedicated to looking at the week in geek. It is July 27th, 2016, and we are coming to you from Blaster headquarters here in 30 Rockefeller Plaza. In New York City, after a week out at San Diego Comic-Con, I'm Adam Swiderski, Editor-in-Chief of Blaster, and joining me this week are... Uh, Danny Roth, who always sits it out from San Diego Comic-Con. So glad. We missed you so much. Wow. No, I did. That seemed seemed genuine. It's from the heart, man. I sent sex to Aaron, who is not here this week. But not me, and therefore I feel left out. I told him to send them to you by proxy. Proxy sex. That's what I heard you were into. (laughs) That just got way too complicated. Anyway, uh, we Aaron is out this week on vacation enjoying sun and surf, I believe. So we have a couple of special guests this week. If you guys want to go ahead and introduce yourselves. Sure. Uh, I'm Ben Harrison. I am one half of a Star Trek podcast called The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. Uh, and I'm your partner in shame, Adam Franica. <laughs> well, judging... I apologize in, in advance. <laughs> yeah, I apologize, I apologize for outing you guys. We just... You know, splash that all over the internet. But uh, yeah, well, we uh, we always say like we did not expect anybody to listen to our show when we started it, and the fact that thousands do now is uh, is very complicated for our relationship with it because <laughs> it was supposed to be a secret. It's like having a science fiction sex tape. Yeah, <laughs> I thought I was uh, I thought it was safe in my storage locker, but you know, somebody on Storage Wars bought it and. Put it out online. Yeah. So judging by the panel that we have today, you can probably guess that we are going to be talking about Star Trek. We didn't really get to address it last week uh, with all the Comic-Con madness, but obviously Star Trek Beyond came out. Some big announcements came out of the con around the upcoming Star Trek show from CBS. Um, so we're going to be looking into Trek and all that's going on there. But first, uh, before we do that, we usually like to go around the table and just talk about what's going on with us this week. What are we geeking out over? Uh, ben, do you want to start? Sure. Uh I've been reading these this series of novels by an uh, author named Anne Leckie, I think. Uh, it's called uh, Ancillary Justice is the first one. And I think that's what Sounds the name... Sounds like a real page-turner. That's what the name of the trilogy is, too. It's a, a, a great, like, space opera series of novels, and uh, the main character used to be a spaceship and is now a person... <laughs> And is uh, that old story? Yeah, and is on like a vengeance quest against a uh, like a space emperor. It's great. Yeah, I actually read the first one as well, Ancillary Justice, and it's an outstanding book. Danny, it's just I'm just saying, it it, it didn't grab me. Oh, you didn't? You read it? it? No, no. Ancillary as a as a word is not like gotta gotta pick that one up. Can't wait for this ancillary anything. (laughs) So so there are only two right at this point. There are three. Oh, Uh, the third one's out. Yeah, I think. Yeah, Adam, there are three. Sorry, I'm behind. Ancillary Justice, Ancillary Sword, Sword and two. Ancillary Mercy. Have you read all three at this point? I'm, I'm like getting close to the end of the third, and uh, it's it's getting crazy. Um, I thought the second one was not quite as strong as the first, but uh, worth it to get to the third, for sure. One of the interesting things about that series uh, is that 
the main character because of having been in basically an AI yeah. and a ship has no concept of gender. So right. when, in, when interacting with humans, it kind of randomly assigns a gender pronoun to them. But yeah. as you read the story, you kind of get, it comes across that some of these characters aren't uh, the gender they've been assigned basically by this AI and describing it. It's really interesting. It's, it's fun, like catching yourself imputing a gender on a character that you know nothing about yet just because like everybody is everybody is just kind of it's up up for grabs so uh i think i think it's a an interesting i mean like that's not even close to being the only interesting thing about the series but uh but it is definitely like a very unusual device and i uh i've had a lot of fun with that very cool danny how about you what's been your week like uh well wayward pine season two is over and whenever i'm finished a season of a show that i'm recapping it's always a source of great relief to me (laughs) um because i just purposefully pick shows that i know are not going to be good um sometimes they catch me by surprise like gotham i started recapping because i thought it would be delightful trash and it's actually good at least half of the time and then when it's bad it is like the most delightful trash uh wayward pines this season was some serious peaks and valleys but um there's an mvp on that show uh a character by the name of arlene who acts like she is on a completely different program like this is like a really deep serious end of the world post-apocalyptic set in the distant future that's somehow very norman rockwell-esque but she is just i don't know like getting shock therapy for kicks (laughs) Um, like constantly like she's got the binoculars out looking at naked men making out with people without consent just acting like a delightful lunatic like just putting it all out there and she's like a a somewhat older lady too like I just I appreciate that's like that character I watch and think that's me I truly I really relate with her is what I'm saying and I'm just bummed that I don't get to see her but everything else is great to have a a break until they come back for season three which is not confirmed but I was sure there would be no season two, positive, and uh, and that happened anyway. So, so would you be watching Wayward Pines if you weren't recapping it for Blaster? Um, you know, I think I would have stuck with it this season just because the middle half of it was really strong. Like they were dealing with a lot of uh, interesting topics. Uh, one of which is that there's a very limited amount of human people left because the whole concept is that this guy predicted that the world was going to end. He took people against their will and put them in these cryotubes, and he built this little town, this very, like, this nice little scenic hamlet. And when they wake up, like, there's, like, a degenerated version of humanity out there called Abbeys that have got, like, really pointy teeth, and they're always naked, um, which is great. And uh, I don't know. It's just, like, it's a really interesting show. And, like, the big goal is that they constantly have to procreate all the time. So it's creepy because all of, like, the... Like, as soon as, like, you're a teenager, you're immediately, like, forced into a room. And, like, there's one kid that they're, like, he's gay. And they're, like, what's that? (laughs) Like, he doesn't even understand that he's gay. And they do really messed up stuff to him during the course of the show. And I was, like, this is real. This is, like, I hate this. But it's really honest. Like, I absolutely accept that with this premise that, like, this kid that is gay would, A, not even realize what was going on at first. And that, B, like, when they're in the first sign of trouble, like, they have to put everybody back to sleep. But they don't have enough tubes for everybody, not to spoil the whole thing. And, like, he's on the first list of people that are like, sorry, you're useless. Gays are useless in the future. Bye. It's it's deeply disturbing, and I kind of like it. It's a nice balance to Arlene making out with people against their will. 
Sounds terrifying. I don't know if I could watch this show. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's really stupid a lot of the time, and that sort of makes it so that you don't have to get too upset. I like shows where people just kind of walk around and nothing much happens. <laughs> no wonder you do Star Trek The Next Generation. There is a lot of them oh. just being like walking down like... Yeah. Like talking about life, yeah. like Zing. Picard's theories about death. Like even, even when the stakes are high, they're never that high. Yeah, <laughs> everything's great. fine. Yeah, like nothing gets fast. Like it's higher in the number of shakes than like tell that to Tasha Yar, you guys. Mm-hmm. No stakes. Anyway, yeah, she did buy the farm in that. She did. Uh, Adam, how about you? What's up with your week this week? Well, I think speaking of stakes at their highest. Um, the thing that I've been really enjoying lately is this Chief O'Brien at Work graphic comic book that I've been going through basically page by page over the last few weeks. It's something I kind of pick at that's on my coffee table that I return to from time to time. It's, I guess, a graphic novel because it's a really long comic book. I'm sure about a thousand comic book nerds are screaming at their <laughs> at their at their podcast radios right now going... Telling uh, telling me that that's a wrong definition for this, but I guess it's graphic in the sense that uh, the boredom is graphic, and Chief O'Brien's ennui is graphic, <laughs> and his existential loneliness is graphic, but I just love this thing. And uh, it's a book I got a couple weeks ago by a guy named John Adams, and I just love it. It's about the nerdiest thing I'm into lately, because I've been working like 60-hour weeks. Yeah, I can't, I, I can't see... I don't associate O'Brien with ennui and existential angst. Well, he's, he's always he's, oh, he's always in the transporter room in Next Gen. That's the thing. You're thinking maybe Deep Space Nine. I am thinking Deep O'Brien, Space Nine O'Brien, who is right. a very different person, I feel. Um, yeah. But yeah, he basically just spends all that time, even in the pilot episode of Deep Space Nine, like when he officially leaves the Enterprise for the last time, like Picard comes in and he's like, this is your transporter room, isn't it, Chief? And he's like, that's right. This is my life now. Like... <laughs> It's just really funny. See, but that Deep Space Nine gives you hope because that guy eventually... I know every stain in this transporter room. <laughs> <laughs> but eventually he finds love and a family and a meaning no, he's got, to his he's life. Got, he's got the family yeah. on Next Gen. He just, he just doesn't like them very much. Right. I always assumed that he really didn't like Keiko at all, but he felt kind of... He had a kid, and he was like, I can't, I can't There's bounce something from real this. weird about their... It's like almost like an arranged marriage, like neither of them has ever met somebody of the other gender before. How <laughs> dare you? I always, I always thought that they didn't like each other, that the actors really didn't get along. Is this, oh. like a, is this a controversial statement? They always... They had, like, no chemistry. They, it was, like, least they, chemistry no, in the history they had the chemistry of, of a couple that had been married for a long time. That's what they all had. All right, all right. That's fair. I feel like they had the most chemistry when she got turned into a kid, and then he felt like he had to hug her. I'm not saying I've re- like I've written the most Keiko unhum- O'Brien fan fiction, and that's why I'm getting defensive. But <laughs> this is a relationship that means a lot to me. We're about three seasons into Next Gen right now in our podcast, and Chief O'Brien has so little to do and so few <laughs> lines of dialogue that, like, I'm not sure that we're supposed to think that he's anything more than like a weird TSA agent just looking <laughs> at people's transporter signals. He's he's a little creepy, but every like one line of dialogue that they give the guy he just destroyifies like he's yeah, he is yeah. clawing his way into prominence at the uh, at the at the moment in our show all he's given is like batting practice fastballs and he just crushes them he's great <laughs> of course he does but uh cool and then in terms of me what i am geeking out about this week i think i'm geeking out about not geeking out this week <laughs> uh having been at comic-con last week uh much like adam i was working crazy amounts of hours just engulfed in nerdery 
And uh, as much as I love it, as much as I love all this stuff, it was uh, it was nice to not think about it for a few minutes. When was I got there anybody back. that got into the room that you guys got a chance to interview that it was cool to meet? In particular? Oh, Neil Gaiman was in the room. Oh, that's right. We I had mean. him in there for American Gods, yeah. and I mean, just being in the same room as Neil Gaiman uh, gave me a big old nerdgasm. That's so, awesome. Was yeah. was did the was the lead in there too, Ricky Whittle? No, he wasn't there. Oh, I think he man. was sick or he was having some problem with his voice. So I'm very come. excited to be. see. He was he was <laughs> I he, can't make it yeah. to comic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I know I happen to know for a fact that that trick really works um <laughs> and has for like 8 years now. But yeah, I mean like he was on the 100 for a while, Ricky Whittle, and like had a really bad falling out when he left the show. Oh. So much so that um his mother wrote like an online letter harassing the, the showrunner. Yikes! Jason Rothenberg's like, "You're bad to my son," and now he's the lead on this other show. So it's a weird journey. I'm curious to see how he's going to fare on this this new game and piece. People people seemed really receptive to the show and what they saw of it. Yeah, people way, are stoked was, for it. Yeah. The other the other cool one was the cast of Agents of Shield. First of all, I think Ming Na is like an immortal vampire of some sort. The woman never ages. It's insane. Like and they were. It was. We were one of their first interviews. I think they had just gotten to the con, so they their spirits had yet to be crushed by the constant <laughs> cycle of things to do. So they were all in great mood, and they were joking around, and you know, using props in the video interview for no reason, like somebody was holding a toaster just because. And it was fun. It was a lot of fun. It's you know, a lot of times you get people at the end of the cycle, and they're just kind of like, "Yeah, I've been to five panels and ten interviews, and I'm exhausted and haven't eaten all day." Does- so it was nice to get somebody fresh before they hit that. I've been to uh, the Consumer Electronics Show several times, and uh, everybody gets sick at CES. Oh, yeah. Concrete. Uh, does does Com- Comic-Con have the same thing? Oh, absolutely. I dodged, it. I dodged it uh, this year, but at least a couple of our people, I think Tara Bennett from Blaster came down with it and a couple other people. Um, yeah. New York Comic-Con for me last year, I instantly, the first day I was there, just nailed Cause with something. I always, I always thought it might have something to do with all the touch screens at CES, but... I mean, no, I have no idea what you guys get into. It's just, the, it's yeah. just well, <laughs> that's for another podcast. It's the makeout to Comic Con. Exactly, exactly. It's the insane hookup culture at Comic Con. Yeah. You wouldn't yeah. believe it. No, I was friends with an editor that used to get drunk and bite people on the neck. Mm. A fact, a fact. That's true. He's actually in a lot of trouble now. But um, <laughs> I actually asked somebody that was out at San Diego, and I was like, "Can you do me a favor and find out who is the new neck biting editor at San Diego Comic Con? Because I really am going to miss that guy." It's a hard life. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, <laughs> I don't know how to segue from that, so we'll just jump right into it. Uh, Star Trek. No vampires except well, like they energy just, they, vampires. They do, they do stuff with, with, with necks. They do like the, the pinch. The pinch. Yeah, there you go. You really, you, it could have been done. I dropped the ball. I'm, I'm really disappointed one. in you. But let's kick things off with Star Trek Beyond, because we didn't get a chance to talk about that last week. Uh, debuted to generally positive reviews. I think it's 80-something percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh Especially surprising given how down on it a lot of people were in the fandom before it came out. Uh, I just saw it last night because I was catching up from the week before. But I, what did you guys think? I liked it. Uh, I definitely thought it was better than the trailer made me think it was going to be. Uh, and I felt like it was fun to have a film that sort of stood on its own two feet rather than being a reference of a reference of a reference of previous films. Uh, it was like its own new story, and I mean, like it wasn't the greatest Star Trek story of all time, but it also was real fun to watch. So, <laughs> I like that they managed to slip in. Like, 
It is a completely new story, and yet the in-jokes in the first act are, like, fast and furious, yeah. I feel like, a ah, lot of them. It was a Justin <laughs> I actually didn't. Yeah. That was unintentional. Okay. But let's yeah. pretend that it was really brilliant. Wow. Well, I mean, they also, yeah, they put the they put the characters together that are classically the most fun to have together. So, uh, yeah. uh, I mean, obviously Spock and, and the Doctor are the... Uh, the typical example of that. I really feel like that, like Bones is is the best he's ever been. Like I have some issues with with how Bones is in the first movie because he's a really bad doctor. <laughs> like he, he gives he gives uh, he gives Kirk a really nasty case of balloon hands, like cartoon balloon oh, yeah. hands. Like and then he just doesn't know what to do with it. And I'm like, what kind of what sort of doctor are you? But in this one, he's really he's on it. Like and they do a nice throwback to the to DeForest Kelly stuff and the old. The old Shatner quality, like they they share a drink and there's a line that they have where um, the the like the toast is like here's to perfect eyesight and a full head of hair, and I <laughs> laughed because it doesn't take much. Yeah, Adam, how about you? What was your reaction? Uh, I agree with Ben that it was nice to have an original storyline, but like I measure my enjoyment of these films pretty subjectively, which is like how often am I getting the chills while watching these movies? And I didn't think this one had as many chill scenes at all as the movies that came before it. Um, I've tried to think about why that is. And, like, to me, the best the reboots have ever been were the first 15 minutes of the first J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie. Like, you've got a ton of story and a ton of catch-up and a ton of emotion crammed in there. And with the last two films, and more recently... Uh, Star Trek Beyond, like, outside of the opening Captain's Log, which was just a great reintroduction to the people that we love, like, I spent 90 minutes wondering about the motivation that Kral had. And is this a spoiler podcast or not? Like, how deeply can we talk about this? <laughs> I, I mean, at this point, the movie's yeah, been the out movie's for been over out a week. week. So we, I can think say, we can say, you know, spoiler warning, we're going to talk about the plot of the film but so yeah, it's been yeah, out for a while. I think tap the skip thirty seconds button four hundred times. Well, exactly. If you're, if you're worried exactly. about the next little bit, <laughs> so go ahead, fire away. Hey, I think these are related concepts because, like, I I really needed to know why Crawl was doing what he was doing to care about what he was doing. Otherwise, the whole story was kill the other guy before he kills you, and right. that wasn't enough for me to really enjoy the film. I also noticed this. I watched it twice because I had seen it right away, and then I felt like I needed to prepare because my memory doesn't stick quite the way that it used to. But um, I didn't realize until the second viewing how late in the day it is that they explain his motivation at all. And it's really like at the absolute last second, and it's so incidental. Like they literally are like like, in between fist punches from Kirk. But they like they like (laughs) they like walk into a room and they're about to do something else, and like Uhura sees like this log that's just playing in the background. She's like, "Wait a second, for reasons that like I don't understand at all. Like why did in the middle of all the action did she think?" Let's pay attention to this thing over here. Let's like, go on YouTube, guys. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's what I was wondering. I was like, do they have time for this? Like to look back at, at tape and then go through the guy's logs and everything? Like they were they were in the middle of something else. They were, it's I very weird. It, that, that is like, actually sort of canonical trek, though. I guess yeah. that's true. That's <laughs> There's a good always point. time for research on yeah. this show. Yeah. <laughs> but that but I feel like that belongs at like at the like at the turn, the end of Act Two and going into the Act Three. That's when you find out the true motivations for a villain 
and then that adds like a big emotional like setup for the payoff that you're gonna get at the end for them maybe like either you're doing it right from the jump or you're doing it there if you do it like with 20 minutes left in your movie that's a that's a misfire i think probably it gets a ton of credit for being original but there are some things from the best trek movies i thought it could have rightly borrowed from namely like uh, you know who Khan is in Wrath of Khan 15 minutes in. You know why he's there. You know what his mission is. You know who Chang is in the first 15 minutes of Undiscovered Country. Those are great Star Trek films. Those are the best Star Trek films. Yeah. And I, I think that really does a lot of favors to the storytelling. And doing it this way, the way they do it in Beyond, like I understand that the, the degree of difficulty in world building and character building is more difficult when you front load it with all that story versus like sneaking in reasons 15 minutes from the end. But I think I would have preferred it. I wonder it would if have they made sort more of, sense to me. I wonder if they sort of fell in love with the idea of having him turn around after sucking somebody's life force and it being a big reveal that it's Stringer Bell. And they were like too obsessed <laughs> with that idea to actually uh, do the right thing story-wise. I mean, I, d- I didn't mind it terribly uh, personally, but I do think that, like, at its best, Trek villains are either very, like, sympathetically motivated or uh, an interest... They have, have, like, an interesting motivation. Like, the Romulans always have yeah. an interesting motivation. Whether or not you actually can sympathize with them, it's always, like, fun to try and imagine, like, what they'll do next because it's a game of chess. Right, yeah. or, you, or you get a force of nature, like, in Star Trek Four. You know, that has no motivation, basically, and it's yeah. just this thing, you know, this thing that they have to avert. Yeah, but then you're relying on, like, how funny the cast well, you have sure. is, and, like, I don't know. I mean, like, Star Trek Beyond, definitely, I think the best of it is the sense of humor, or is the 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 witty word, wordplay, or just the general sense of humor in between, like, yeah. Bones and Spock, that stuff is pretty good, and, like, just in general, like, I think that's why Bones is such a standout for me is that, like, you can always rely upon him to bring out some kind of sardonic glee from a lot of the other people. Like, he makes Spock laugh. Yeah. That was something. That is, uh, and it, it, they sold that, too. Like, it wasn't Spock it's a, laughing. It's a, it'll... it's a good moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, they definitely, I think those two were kind of tag team the MVP of the film for me. Uh, but I, even, I would say maybe even more Bones. Like I think he, uh, him flying a, a ship at the end in a big chase through space, I was like, wow, that's that's not. Yeah, the, the moment that we they twisted his see. arm into that mission, I thought was really strong. Kral got super lucky that he went crazy in a way that there was like latent technology available to him to act on that craziness, right? Like, well, like he crashed on a planet that had just the right stuff for him to be. <laughs> crazy in the way that he was <laughs> yeah but that's i mean you gotta you gotta kind of overlook that stuff a little bit i mean my thing was walking in was like so the federation has never faced ships smaller than the ones they fly before because they are completely unprepared to defend against it like the enterprise gets I mean, a, annihilated a, by a, this swarm. A swarm, a swarm ship because that's the thing like at first you see it and it looks like it's one big ship yeah and then all of a sudden it's always i don't know i've yeah. never sort of what happened to the death star though I mean, but that's—I mean—that's why they invented yeah. like flat cannons and what things. about they that? Have fl- those, and you, but well, that first of all, that was a long time ago. <laughs> in, in, in the galaxy, far, far, far away. Yeah. Yeah. This wow. is a, this is human history when they've actually had, yeah. you know, capital ship to smaller ship combat theoretically, <laughs> and 
for they're just like we're completely unprepared to deal with anything that's not the same size we are. I, that, yeah, actually, that you know what? You know what? Point like, point of order. I'm willing to grant this. Like, don't the Tholians have some kind of similar technology? Like the Tholian web, isn't that kind of like a? <laughs> if you can handle the Tholians, but not in this timeline. Come on, man. Yeah. No, they mentioned the whatever. <laughs> they mentioned the. Tholians. We're, getting, we're getting really deep into it here. This is serious business. Yeah, yeah. But no, I think, and I think for me, the thing about Crawl that really kind of stuck in my craw, so to speak, is that uh, he just didn't seem that threatening up until the end. Because, and you know, the comparison I, I was making to Danny earlier was one to Star Wars, where you had them, you know, basically Tarkin and, and Vader blowing up an entire planet of billions of people. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wow, these people mean business. They're a real threat, you know. And this is his kind. Of, he killed one person with this supposed super weapon, but he also killed the ship, which is yeah, but its and, own character. But he captured everybody, and it's just not. It's not like he didn't strike. Now you me see as, people get blown out into space. Come I guess, on. but he, he didn't. It didn't. He didn't. I didn't. His menace did not come across to me as much as I would have liked it to. Like a con. Do you, you know? think it's because you could never see his face? Because this is one of the things that I took issue with too. Is like. Idris Elba is one of the great actors, and you're covering up his most powerful feature, like his able his ability to express himself. And I think he's I think it kind of kneecaps how threatening he can be if you aren't seeing those expressions and you're just relying on him to do things as a character, like suck the energy out of people or uh, or have people get dissolved by the by the weapon. Yeah, definitely. I, I I think it's that, and I think it's also what we said before is that we just don't get the chance to get to know him or care about what whether or not he's what he cares about you know like we don't get to see that and and decide whether we agree or disagree it's just he's bad i feel like the other way it would have worked would be if the character that he kills the crab crab head lady had been like a beloved character that we knew through the listen i really i felt something for her she had cool xenomorph hands that that concealed her lady pocket. It was really like it was very strange, but I liked it. So uh, my my fetish was, was, was finally put on <laughs> on the big screen. Hey, let, let me let me ask a question. This is um maybe this is like I don't know if this is elephant in the room for anybody else, but I've heard a lot of people say that they feel that one of the big weaknesses is that Chris Pine is not very good at Kirk. He doesn't have that same like warm charisma that Shatner has, and that it's hurting the franchise. That Chris Pine just doesn't have it. How do you guys feel about Chris Pine as Kirk now three movies in? I did. It. I totally disagree with that. I think Chris Pine is awesome as Kirk. Yeah, I think, I mean, for me, it was more that this film in particular was less about Kirk than the other two have been. Yeah. And yeah. he didn't get the opportunity as much to be that guy, you know, whereas the first one, especially, you get to see him Kirking it up yeah. all over the place. When he's eating that apple, when they're. Kobayashi marooing it up. Yeah. yeah, that is good. That is that is maybe his that, best his best moment. That's maybe more Kirk than Shatner ever got. Yeah, <laughs> I he, kind, I kind of feel like maybe does Simon Pegg not like Chris Pine because he sure did write that script and you can tell because there's a lot of goofy Scotty stuff in that yeah, movie. That's the uh, that's your other goofy character. Like he has written more. I think there's more. Scotty in this movie, yeah. Like Simon Pegg was like, if I get to co-write this thing, I like, thought they really spread it around, like really. I mean, well or for well or ill, depending on your opinion of you know who needs to stand out. But that's the thing. I mean, Kirk gets a lot of great action beats in the movie. Like he's got this big motorcycle thing, and you know, obviously the climax, but not a lot of character stuff, you know, yeah. and not a lot of development of that over the course of of the film in dialogue. So I, I don't know. I mean. 
and I think part of that is because everybody gets their chance to step up and, and get a chunk of the script. Um, and, you know, I guess, you know, whether that's a good thing or bad thing depends on how much Kirk you want in your track. What was your, do you have like a moment that was like your standout moment in the movie? Like something that you really liked? That's a good question. I mean, I I laughed out loud at the, uh, and again, this I guess is a big spoiler, but they figure out, you know, at the end that they have to blast this swarm with sound and it ends up being the Beastie Boys and the the swarm becomes this wave and the Enterprise basically surfs on this wave, like playing Beastie Boys music and destroying them all. <laughs> and it's like, I was like, they found a way, Justin Lin found a way to put a surfing scene in a Star Trek movie. <laughs> this is the most Fast and Furious thing. I mean, that's the most Fast and Furious-esque moment yeah. of the film. And I, I mean, I don't know whether I liked it or thought it was so ridiculous that I liked it, but I, I couldn't help like laughing my ass off during that whole sequence with Glee. Like I was just like, this is so absurd and amazing. And it's, I mean, it's funny because I remember when the first trailer came out with Sabotage in it and everybody was like, oh, why are they using that music? And they like, it, the fact that it then becomes a integral part of the film sure, and, and a key plot device, uh, I just, I thought that was really clever. So that, that moment for me just made me laugh out loud. I mean, I wouldn't say it's like a moment that, you know, like Adam was talking about where you get chills and think like in a, in a, in a serious Trek sense, but, but it was probably the moment I viscerally enjoyed most. What about you, Ben? I just... I just bought the URL checktills.com, so. <laughs> <laughs> where I will be I'd, I'd, posting my essays on why Star Trek movies don't give me chills anymore. I think maybe the uh, the the space station was real special to me. Like I love uh, I love a big space station scene, and I thought that they had a really cool, inventive uh, depiction of that. It's like a a bunch of cities on on hula hoops that are kind of all revolving around each other, and like the the, the tippy tops of buildings will be like pointing at each other in uh, in certain spots, and uh, well, they do a, like a real moment where like they're going down across, and it's like it's like a Doctor Strange trailer, like like where like you see like here's some buildings here, and then they're upside down. It really yeah. is like I got nauseous the first time I watched it because um, I saw it in an IMAX 3D, and that was that was too much twisty turny for me. Yeah. Um... And like the the way the ships enter the the space station was just I thought it was very very cool inventive uh, fun fun moment and I always like when they kind of expose the scale of this world because a lot of the time right. you're in a a hallway or a, a bridge or whatever but every so often you get to go outside and see what what this ship means to the people in the universe of Trek and it's a super important awesome thing you know and uh, i think that they did a great job of taking that over the line what about you adam did you get anything that gave you trek.chills.edu <laughs> yeah i think the part that comes to mind was uh crook's toast at the end to absent friends and uh they do a shot reverse shot where they reverse it to uh his crew watching him during the toast and uh and Chekhov is right there like oh, next man. to the champagne glass and that I thought was pretty crushing. Yeah, every time he was on screen in the movie, I mean, again, it's just, it was, you just think about everything that went down with him, and it's it's yeah. really... Well, he really stole that toast the show is in so, the first film. That toast is so in keeping with Kirk, too. Like, that's a canonical toast that he gave at, yeah, at yeah, the so end of Wrath of Khan. Like, that was, that was meaningful on a number of levels. Yeah, for sure. How about you, Danny? Uh, I actually... Um, 
also I got chills because like that whole movie, like there's this idea that um, at the same time Kirk and Spock, independently of one another, are deciding whether or not it's still worth it for them. Right. And um, I really like that Spock's note for this was he felt like he needed to carry on the work that Admiral Spock was doing right. because he thinks that is what Ambassador Spock. Amba- Ambassador Spock. Sorry, I just had to put that out there. It's fine. We, we would get murdered. You're right. <laughs> You're right. Here in this in this this golden castle. Yeah. At sci-fi, they would still get in. Uh, but no, uh, Ambassador Spock. He thought like for sure. That's what he would want me to do, and I really like that when um, Zachary Quinto's Spock gets, like, these belongings, like, he finds a picture of the original crew. Yeah. And it, like, I, like, I missed it up a little bit. I I teared up. It meant something to me. I mean, I've grown up on Star Trek, um, so that moment I thought, like, was, it felt like it was for longtime fans, but I still feel like, if you just know, I mean, I think when you come out of the womb, Everybody knows who Captain Kirk and Spock are, so like it's still going to mean something to you. But that was probably like my favorite moment that really got me. Yeah, I'm totally with you. Like those quiet moments, I thought were the best parts of the movie, and it made me think like, are these movies made for us anymore? Like I I grew up watching movies in the late '80s and the early '90s. Like that's when I started watching seven movies a week. Like <laughs> I I really consumed a lot of film at that time, and movies were different back then in a way that they don't play like they do today. And it makes me sound like a crotchety old man to say it, but, like, is this the way Star Trek is from now on? Like, like you'll get your little your little dog treat of, of a couple of quiet moments here and there, but the rest of the time it's going to be, like, uh, terrorist attacks on starships? Well, I will say I felt this one did a little better with it in that the climax wasn't, uh, beating up Crawl was not the main concern for Kirk in the final yeah. big combat. He had to like pull some levers and make a mechanism work and save like save people rather than killing somebody, defeating somebody. And uh, I, I mean, that's a very subtle difference, you know, because he still obviously had to fight Crawl. But uh, it it said something to me, maybe a little bit, that they're trying to push more away from straight-up action movie? Maybe. I mean, they definitely, like, the whole denouement is is obviously, like, no action at all, and it's yeah. a little longer than I think maybe some of the other ones. But, um, Ben, I know that you interviewed uh, Zachary Quinto, and I know you guys talked about that maybe for a minute. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like the... I asked him, you know, if... Uh, uh, you know, how he felt about the fact that these all seemed to be kind of action films, and, and it seemed like he had a fairly canned answer. But... Which was nonetheless a good point uh, that, uh, you know, that's sort of what gets people's butts in seats now. And uh, I think that's I think that's very true. And, you know, American film is is always changing and it would be pretty crazy for them to make a film that was paced the way some of those some of those original cast films were paced and try and put it in theaters now. I mean. I don't know that any director working today even knows how to do that at this point. <laughs> well, if they do, they're not working on Star Trek films. Right. Yeah. Well, I think they're, the good, all, yeah. they're all directing TV. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I was going to say, exactly I, I, right. this, is, this is sort of like the perfect opportunity to pivot a little bit. Yeah. Uh, because uh, looking at the fact towards the future that perhaps like part of this is just the nature of the film industry, but TV is very different, a very different creature. Now we're going to have this new Star Trek series, Star Trek discovery yeah and um and considering the fact that the most popular 
show that everyone seems to have suddenly binged, uh, which is a Netflix series called Stranger Things, is like sh- straight up like all 80s all the time. Like, is there an opportunity to sort of like sort of mm, put the brakes on the pacing a little bit, slow stuff down and take your time with this new Star Trek series? Oh, I think that's absolutely true. And I think it's I mean, if you look at something like Stranger Things, every review I've read practically and I haven't finished it yet, but every review I've read has said this doesn't feel like a TV show. This feels like an eight part movie. You know, and that's just a lot of TV now is that it's just a, it's it's cinematic storytelling that just takes place over a much longer period of time. Um, so I, I can't imagine anything but that happening with the new track. Yeah, I'm I'm that's the thing that maybe scares me most about the new show is that there's going to be a ton of pressure for it to be a huge story arc that that takes place across an entire season. And that's like. That's what fans expect. You know, everything is Breaking Bad now. And, yeah. uh, you know, I find that when, like, the more you raise the stakes in anything, the crazier the action has to be to to kind of resolve those resolve those conflicts. And, and I, uh, I think that it, it's probably not a temptation they're going to be able to overcome in, in making this new series. See, I always feel like Deep Space Nine kind of nailed it the best. And I'm a huge Deep Space Nine fan person. So uh, <laughs> that was, I always feel like they, they nailed it the best in terms of balancing, you know, your traditional episodic trek right. with an overarching, you know, story that was taking place over multiple seasons. Because there was the Dominion War and all this stuff was going on. And every once in a while, you'd have something that moved that forward. But you also had other episodes in there that were just one-off stories, but had that hovering over it the whole time. And hopefully, I'm hopeful that that's the direction they're going to go. I think it was that, like, the X-Files playbook of Monster of the Week is going to be, like, most of the episodes, but the myth arc will come back every, like, four or five or whatever, and and we're going to check in on how that storyline is going. And characters will change based on that as we as we go through our monsters of the weeks but you know you don't have to be a hardcore you know plot watcher to understand a given episode and that's something that i really love about the the next generation is that it doesn't really matter what season an episode is in you know i mean there's a couple very small things that change from season to season but it's really not about tracking some major scandal that's unfolding over over 25 episodes. Right. Yeah, it's like does Picard have a flute yes or no? Like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Adam, which way would you prefer that they go with the new series? I don't know if Fuller was being deceptive or not and I'm sort of putting my chips on deceptive again, but like I was a little disappointed to hear that it's not going to be an anthology, which is what a lot of people thought it was going to be yeah. uh, when the show was first announced. Um one of the things that Ben and I talk about on the podcast, on our hit podcast, The Greatest Generation, is available uh, on iTunes. Yeah, is like what a miracle it is that this show was allowed to survive uh, after making so many mistakes. Like this is a time when you get thirty episode seasons, and it had so many chances to fix itself and make course corrections and figure itself out. And TV is so much more competitive and so much less patient right now that, like, Discovery is going to be 13 episodes. Like, that's the first season by. And it sort of terrifies me to think that that might be all they get. I really, like, I'm all for more Trek. I want a lot more movies, and I want a lot more TV. Like, I I sound like 
uh, I'm not liking the show or the or the. I, it sounds like I don't like Star Trek with a lot of these comments, but <laughs> like I'm just, I just, uh, I don't know if there's. It seems like a real dangerous corner to paint yourself in if you're making a, a TV show based on such a story. You know, there's a couple weird moving pieces happening though. Um, one that it's only the pilot episode is actually going to air on television, and then the rest of it is going to be on CBS All Access. Right, so nobody will see it. <laughs> right, so there's that. But but the other thing is that, like, outside of the United States and Canada... It's um, a Netflix it's original gonna, series. It's going to be, an, yeah, basically a Netflix original series. So, like, outside of huh. these two countries, a lot of people, I suspect, will see it. Um, so that's going to be really odd. It's a really strange circumstance that they're setting up. I don't know why it is that they can't just make... A, a deal with Netflix. I don't know. Right. Well, and the like question becomes picked... like, does that take some of the pressure off? Right. Because it's, they're not putting it on yeah. TV up against heavy hitters. You know, it's online streaming and those numbers don't necessarily have to be reported as much. We calculated on our show that TNG probably spent something like $45 million before they made a really good episode. <laughs> like that's how many episodes, like I think the budget in the first couple seasons was like $1.2 million. A season, an episode, and it's like mid season two before they're they like they they pull something out that's like wow this is super impressive and this shows a lot of promise and uh, if they're if the pilot is a bit of a turkey like who is going to buy a membership to this right well that's the thing service? I mean they can't have an encounter at Farpoint that's that's a fact right. like no. that is absolutely like maybe one of the worst pilot episodes of a TV show I've <laughs> ever seen and that is one of my favorite TV shows of all time yeah you didn't but, enjoy the five minute segment of Riker docking the saucer I, uh, section I actually am really hoping for more of that I wish yeah. like there was some stuff with the saucer section in Star Trek Beyond and I was like if you had Riker yeah yeah if you just uh, had Riker this would have been fine do. he would have been on it but um I don't know. I'm curious as to see what the budget is because a lot of the stuff where you're talking about how much money they spent per episode, um, I've talked with producers for some of the Star Trek shows um, around the next-gen era, and it's like if you shoot a phaser in in, in, $10,000. It's like for one shot, it's like it's $2,500 for that. Like that's (laughs) for like now it costs nothing. Like so I think that like there are a lot of things that are going to cost significantly less and if they have like one yeah. good standing set that For they're going to be doing then, most of their work from like yeah. that reduces things too well that's the thing like if you look at TNG like obviously almost all of the money went into an amazing set in the first season cuz they have like the ship is incredible and it's a, a cool enough set that they managed to you know use it for seven seasons and it looks great. It looks as good in the last episode as it does in the first. And then the planets in yeah, They just redress the one. same planets yeah, over just, and over again. Yeah, it's like gray blankets thrown over piles of garbage to represent rocks. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Star Trek way. Yeah. That's the way it's got to be done. What did you guys think of the ship? Because we got a little teaser coming out of Comic-Con that shows, I guess, the Discovery right. departing... Uh, some space sort of dock. asteroid space yeah, dock. Yeah, and it, uh, it's an interesting design. It kind of looks... someone on I saw someone on YouTube call it a kitbash, which <laughs> well, I thought it's, was it's, really it's, interesting. It's straight out of, um, out of the Phase 2 era um, the, that, and that Titan series that they were, they were going to do. It's a Ralph McQuarrie design. Or they're, they're denying it right now. Like, Brian Fuller basically was like, I can't comment on how much it's influenced yet because I could get in trouble. <laughs> like, I think if they actually secure rights... To say that they've done it, 
then yes. they're going to keep it. And if, like, the Ralph Macquarie estate or whatever, or Ralph Macquarie is like, no, they're going to have to change the design a little bit, I think is basically the situation they're in right uh-huh. now. But I like that it looks, because Macquarie was also doing Star Wars stuff at the time. And you yeah. can tell, like, there's the back end of that ship with, like, those real, it's like a, we've got a really big wingspan back there. Yeah, it looks like a. Klingon warbird influenced Federation ship. Yeah, almost. it's it's that and a little. It's got some some Star Wars elements too. I think um, it looks a little rusty too. Like it's kind of a a darker tint than uh, than they usually make the ships. You know, Federation ships are usually kind of silvery white, and this is kind of kind of a uh, a rusty bronze color. Uh, maybe that's just the the tint on the on the lighting in the in the asteroid or whatever, but. It is in the de- the design that they're saying that it's been that it's lifted from, as yeah. it were. Um, well, I like that. It also like isn't the prettiest render. It kind of looks yeah, PlayStation yeah. Three a era. little bit. Yeah. yeah, and and I think that maybe all the straight lines don't help that. It kind of looks like it's like a low polygon model. <laughs> I think it looks like a busted pizza box. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I think that's what they were going for. I love pizza. What's the problem? Uh, I would love to have seen i have no idea like what the cost differences are but i would have loved to have seen them do an actual model and not a cg thing at least at least to roll it out like i I imagine that when you get to a point where you're gonna show it on screen with a planet and a bunch of other ships you need to you need to render that most of the time but make a make a real model and show us something that looks cool and real I'm you know. super nervous about it just because, like, I don't, the, it, they said January, right? That's what the tra- the first yeah. episode is going to go out in January. So who's the star of the show? <laughs> they announced anybody? A single soul yet? Do we know? Well, Adam, uh, Adam and I are running a dark horse candidacy to be the the wrap up show, the uh, the after the thrones uh, uh, hosts for for this show. But the Talking uh, Dead, you want a hard wicket? But yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but. Uh, being that nobody at CBS has ever heard of us, uh. we could call it Two Hard Wicks. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that was the one thing that came out of this for me is it's a really unfortunate acronym for this show. Oh yeah, STD. STD. Got to catch them yeah. all. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> but uh, I, it, you wonder if anyone thought about that at CBS as they were putting this together, or maybe they just counted on the maturity of their audience. I think it's a little strange that they released this version and then they got a bunch of blowback and then they they PR spun it as. Well, we weren't exactly through with the render, and we had to rush it through for Comic-Con, and we aren't sure if we have the rights to even use the ship. Like, what is that? Why Why are, Why even release the footage? It would make me feel better if they had, like, confidence in, in their creative enough to stand behind the design and go, yeah, this is the ship, and it's going to be rad. You just, you just have to believe us. But that's not what we're getting. We're getting a lot of, like, Mealy Mouse stuff. Well, I mean, I wonder how much pressure was that coming from the network and we're doing this big star trek thing at comic-con the 50th anniversary want to have something to show from the new shows so and they were like oh crap we have to get something out and that was the best they could come up with in the moment it's sort of hard not to make a huge franchise by committee now isn't it and like and the problem is that like on one hand like i don't know i've been watching star trek my whole life I feel like I should have a say. But at the same time, I'm like, you should never let me have a say. Because if I get a say, then everyone gets a say, and then it's a nightmare. Like, I wish what they would actually do is just be like, uh, listen, you Star Trek babies, shh. Just let, just let, sure. us, just let us work. Trust us that it's going to be good. 
and just calm down. The info is going to come out when it comes. The end. Well, yeah, everyone can have a say, but that doesn't mean anyone has to listen. Like, we get we get a bunch of terrible emails about our podcast, and we aren't changing the way we're doing the show for them. Oh, man, but I worked really hard on that terrible email. <laughs> uh, Danny's Manifesto, if you follow that, come on, gold, man, success all the way Straight across. to junk. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that Star Trek really inspires passionate responses in people. And, you know, when we make jokes on our show at Captain Picard's expense... We get tweets like crazy from people that like, you know, Picard is sacrosanct to them, and they they can't they can't hear anybody make any comment about what he might be up to with regard to Wesley Crusher. Uh, and and uh, you know, like I I guess I get that that might not be a silly joke to everybody, but it's it's also like it's a kind of show that people really like build a religion around. As much as yeah. as much as our fans of you know, and I I, gotta, I mean I have a little I have faith in Brian Fuller as a producer a little bit, and maybe that's you know I wish I could say the same on my part, but he didn't hire Adam or myself to be in the writing team, and so that's like, true. Mm, major major <laughs> that's hit against the him. Persian flaw. Yeah. That's his Persian flaw. My faith is in Nick Meyer more than Fuller. I mean, Fuller's got great pedigree, uh, a a pattern of success on television, especially like he's a great world builder. But, like, to me, Nick Meyer is the key to this show being great. I mean, uh, Nick Meyer has a 1,000% batting average. Like, everything he touches on Trek is great. I have a 1,000% uh, guarantee that I will watch all of it regardless of quality. <laughs> exactly. We're that's, all going to be That's what I know. Like, I don't know, no like, what. yeah, like, how much attention do you have to pay to people that are, have make, made it a religion? It's like, that's right. So you're going to come to church every Sunday, I guess, um, because it's Star Trek. So we're going to do what we want to do. I just wish that they that they were just like be quiet, like we love you guys, but like let 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 us do and just leave it at that. I would have more confidence if that was what was coming out, but it's hard to be that, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So you're saying you have kind of a broke back mountain style relationship with Star Trek? Yeah, you, I can't you quit wish it. You know how can't to quit, quit it. it. Exactly. I just can't. I I wish I knew how to, but. Well, we want to hear from you guys and what you think about the upcoming Star Trek Discovery and also about Star Trek Beyond and all the Trek stuff that we've talked about today. Uh, you can tweet at us at Blaster. Leave comments on the article with this uh, podcast and review and rate us on iTunes. I want to thank our guests today, uh, Ben and Adam, if you guys want to let people know where they can find you on the internets. Yeah, uh, we're on the MaximumFun.org podcast network, or you can go directly to gach.biz to find our show. Uh, and if you know how to spell that, uh, I'm sure you'll at least enjoy our show a little bit. <laughs> uh, and yeah. da- Danny, if you want to tell people where they can find you. As always. No, no. I, I prefer to keep it a secret. Excellent. No, no, no. Uh, you can find me, uh, I mean, other than Blaster.com, uh, you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram uh, at Danny Ordinary. That's Danny with one N. Ordinary, also with one N. And how many N's in Twitter? Uh, I'll get back to you. All right, good. I'm having a stroke. <laughs> Adam, where can people at the end find you? Yeah. Well, let me tell you. Uh, they can, you can find me at Rock the Faces on Twitter and Instagram or everywhere on Blaster.com. I, my spirit infuses the entire website. Yeah, I went there. <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Who Won the Week, and please join us again. We'll see you next time.